Hi friends, I've got a very long but very exciting episode for you today. So I don't want to take too much time in my introduction, but I have a few thoughts. I hope you'll indulge me. You know, this week, Barbara Streisand's memoir has come out, and I've been listening to and watching some of the press that's surrounding this monumental event. And I have to say that from my earliest childhood, no artist has inspired me and found her way into my heart more than Barbara Streisand. God, I love her so much. She is truly an American treasure. But you know, there's another artist, too, who, though she entered my consciousness later, is just as much an American treasure. And that is Shirley Verrett. It's now been 13 years already since she died at the age of 79 on November 5th, 2010. She was a fearless, unique performer of such enormous gifts that it almost makes my brain explode. When I first started my podcast, back in the fall of 2019, when I was still feeling my way around this whole podcasting thing, I devoted two episodes to Shirley Verrett, and I promised a third which I imagined would come within that first season. So this is a delayed third episode honoring Shirley Verrett, but I think it is going to just blow your minds. It certainly was inspiring for me to revisit her enormous contribution and her incredible versatility. In the year 1966, Shirley Verrett, as part of her contract with RCA Records, released an album called Singin' in the Storm, which comprised protest songs, songs about race, songs about war. It was a daring move for a singer who, at that point, was primarily known for her mezzo-soprano roles, from the bel canto of Donizetti to Carmen. Later in her life, of course, she sang the role of Nettie Fowler in a Broadway revival of Carousel. But at this point, she had steered clear of the quote-unquote pop repertoire. I think it was at least as much from the standpoint of social commentary that she made this album. The arrangements are by the African-American choral conductor Leonard Depore, and they're certainly very 1960s. And for that reason, I don't think the album has the timelessness of, say, an early Barbara Streisand recording that has a classic 60s sound rather than a dated one. But nevertheless, to come out with an album that foregrounded anti-war sentiments just as the United States was entrenched in Vietnam, I think the message was pretty clear for anybody who chose to listen. The world is such a frickin' mess these days, and I am in despair over it much of the time. But the concerns over the potential and the stated intention of one nation to destroy another is so much a part of our daily consciousness these days. And I don't care if we're talking about Palestine, Ukraine, Israel. It's all the same. And while the song that we're going to hear an excerpt from Pete Seeger's Where Have All the Flowers Gone frames it within the context of the soldier. It applies just as much to innocent civilians as it does to unwitting soldiers. Where have all the soldiers gone? Long time passing. 
Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world. Thank you for joining me on that path. This week's episode. There is a little used Italian term, generally applied to sopranos, the soprano sfogato. Sfogato in Italian means literally vented. The soprano sfogato is by extension, if you will, a contralto who has also access to great technical feats of coloratura and also the upper reaches of the soprano register. So I think this defines the voice of Shirley Verrett, and we're going to be examining that over the course of this episode. There's also a term bandied about by vocal experts, the falcon soprano, or simply the falcon. And when we say that, we're referring actually to the historic singer Cornelie Falcon, who lived from 1814 to 1897 and created certain roles in French operas that are felt to hover somewhere between mezzo-soprano and soprano, what the Germans would call a Zwischenfach voice. There are many, many singers since the days of Falcon who fit this designation. Martha Mödel is one of them. Helga Dernesch, Christa Ludwig, Waltraud Meyer, among the German-speaking ones, Regine Crespin, Felia Litvin, Rita Gore, Suzanne Sarocca, among the French-speaking, and among the Italians, Pia Tassinari and Gabriella Besanzoni, going back before the days of Falcon, Giuditta Pasta, among the Brits, Felicity Palmer, Rosalind Plowright, and even Janet Baker fit this designation. And among American singers, Regina Resnick, Grace Bunbury, Maria Ewing, Jesse Norman, of course. In other words, some of the most interesting singers to have trod the boards. I think that these various designations describe to a T the voice of Shirley Verrett, today's guest of honor, 
And therefore, I've combined, not Zwischenfach, I'm leaving that out, but I've combined the two, Soprano Sfogato and Falcon, in the title of this episode, which, if one is going to define the voice of Shirley Verrett, if that's even possible, this seems to be a pretty good way of at least attempting to do that. Therefore, I present to you Shirley Verrett, Falcon Sfogatissima. I'm not going to talk much on this episode because it's already chock full of musical excerpts. And I tried to keep most of them down to a manageable length, but there are so many examples of the enormous versatility of Shirley Verrett that it's going to be a long episode, no matter how you slice it. So let's start with three examples of the incredible power and versatility of that Falcon Svogatissima Shirley Verrett. First, from what might well have been the greatest night of her career. Here she is singing the title role of Norma on tour in Boston in April 1976. This is just a very brief excerpt, No Non Tremare, when Norma discovers that the young priestess, whose story she has just been listening to, has been carrying on with the very Roman general who fathered Norma's two children. Here's a happier moment, at least a temporarily happy moment, between Norma and Adalgisa in the second act of Norma, where gradually the younger woman convinces Norma to continue living, if only for her children. This is a legendary moment from the careers of both Shirley Verrett and the recently departed Grace Bumbry. These two were so often grouped together They were African-American mezzo-sopranos who had moved into the soprano repertoire, and yet in what different ways they moved. In spite of that, they did share some roles, including both Norma and Adalgisa. Beginning in January 1982, they did a series of worldwide recitals, the first of which was to celebrate the supposed 80th birthday of Marian Anderson, who had sheared a few years off of her age, and so she wasn't really 80 at that point, but who cares? They concluded that concert on the 31st of January 1982 with Mira Norma, with Grace singing Norma. And then for an encore, they did it with the roles reversed. And I love Grace, but I don't think she was a great Norma, certainly not on the level that Shirley was. And so when they switched, suddenly 
everything clicked. And here is just a portion of that Miro Norma. Ferret was also known in Italy as La Nera Callas, and she did take on a large number of Maria's roles, including, when she was in her late 50s, the title role of Cherubini's Medee. In the 1980s, she took up residency in Paris and sang a number of extraordinary roles there, including Lady Macbeth, Sinaide in Rossini's Moise e Pharaon, and finally in 1990, alternating the roles of Cassandre and Didon with her colleague and frenemy Grace Bumbry in the inaugural production at the Opéra Bastille of Berlioz's Les Troyens, in between three other roles that we will be sampling as well, primary among these, Cherubini's Medee in the original French. And here is a terrifying moment. 
from the last act, Humenide des Argonautes. This is live from Paris in the year subject was the great French baritone Robert Massard, and I had a very brief excerpt of Ferret and Massard singing the duet from the last act of Carmen. Today I have a slightly longer excerpt from Shirley Ferret and Robert Massard. This is from Camille Saint-Saëns' Sanson et Dalila. This was one of her favorite roles. It really exploited the low end of her range and also that incredible intensity, that kind of nervous energy that other great singers such as Tatiana Troianos and Leonie Riesenek brought to their stage performances. This is the conference, if you will, between Dalila and the high priest of Dagon right before Samson, their mortal enemy who is enamored of Dalila, comes for a visit. They swear vengeance upon Samson and all of his people. This recording is live from Milano in January 1970, and I believe it was the first of many successes that Shirley Verrett would enjoy at La Scala. Georges Prêtre, with whom Shirley Verrett frequently collaborated, is the conductor. <laughs> Oh, my God. 
Shirley Verrett wrote a fantastic autobiography called I Never Walked Alone. It's a very, very good autobiography, and I strongly recommend it. She tells us so many things about herself and her colleagues in this book. One is that in the early days of her career, she couldn't envisage becoming an opera singer because of the many barriers that were placed in the path of artists of color who wanted to sing on the operatic stage. So when she, at the relatively late age of 25, went to the Juilliard School, it was with the intention of becoming a recitalist. And recently, there have been published on YouTube some early performances that took place when she was a student at Juilliard. The most telling of these, for me, is when she sang the Johannes Brahms Für Ernste Gesänge on two different occasions in the year 1957, one in February and then a month later in March. In listening to those two recordings only a month apart, you hear the way in which Shirley Verrett improved over the course of a single month, correcting so many slight errors that she had made, honing her interpretation, refining her diction, finding her way into these songs. From the last song with a text from 1 Corinthians 13, translated into German, by the way, by Martin Luther, we hear the final portion of the final song. She's accompanied here by Marius Nygaard.
Eventually, Shirley Verrett became one of the greatest opera stars of her age. But she always continued to do recitals. By her estimation, it was about 70% of the time opera, 30% recitals. In the year 1974, she gave a memorable concert at Hunter College in which she premiered three songs by Thomas Passettieri, who at that point was considered one of the great hopes among American opera composers. The songs were settings of three poems of James Agee, of which we're going to hear the final one, Sonnet. She's accompanied here by her friend and frequent pianistic collaborator, Warren Wilson. Time for me to do my little verbal for my Patreon page. I've been publishing bonus episodes every single week since May that are related to the main episodes that I've been publishing. This week, I'm publishing an episode on Robert Massard singing Italian roles in and out of Italian, more frequently in French. He's such a great singer, and I know you'll enjoy it. But in a couple weeks, I also am putting together an episode of Shirley Verrett in recital. I believe that her late colleague, Grace Bumbry, did her finest work as a recitalist. Whereas I think that Shirley was, in spite of her initial career aspirations, a more effective opera singer than she was a concert artist. But she still gave some pretty amazing performances. So that bonus episode will be coming in, I don't know, a week or two. I'm getting a little backlogged with my bonus episodes. Alongside the mention of my Patreon account, I do want to thank my dear friend Sarah for doubling her monthly pledge to my Patreon page. 
It's greatly appreciated. I thank you so much, Sarah. And if any of you are inspired to also become Patreon supporters of the podcast, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, where you can make your pledge to ensure that I will be able to continue producing these episodes for you. Now let's resume our regularly scheduled programming. Let's examine some of the operatic repertoire of Shirley Verrett. Though she never, to my knowledge, sang any roles of Handel on stage, nevertheless, she gave an extraordinary performance of two arias from Handel's Alcina in a recital that she gave at the Edinburgh Festival in 1969. This is a portion of Milusing al Dolce Affetto, in which she is once again accompanied by Warren Wilson. Music of Gluck played a surprisingly central part in the career of Shirley Verrett. One of her first recordings for RCA Records was of the title role of Orfeo in his Orfeo ed Euridice. In the year 1970, she sang a radio performance in Torino on Italian radio in a complete performance of Orfeo, with Seiji Ozawa conducting. We're going to hear just a brief portion we're going to hear just a brief excerpt from Orfeo's Lament in the first act of the opera. I wish I could play this whole thing for you because it shows such extraordinary variety of articulation, intensity, plangency. I mean, it's one of her great moments. The sound is not great. 
and many of the things that we're hearing today clearly do not have fantastic sound. But the singing is so out of this world that I strongly encourage you to listen through some of the crackle and distortion. This is Numi, Barbari Numi. mid-1980s, Shirley Verrett returned to the operas of Gluck, but this time she was singing roles like Iphigenie en Tauride and Alceste, roles more associated with that Zwischenfach between soprano and mezzo that I was talking about earlier. And once again, we have recorded examples of these. Unfortunately, the sound is not great, And it's sad because she had been in discussions with, I can't remember which recording company it was, to record at least three of the big look operas. This was yet another example of planned recordings that did not take place. But at least we have this documentation. Just last week, we heard a brief excerpt of the Belgian mezzo-soprano Rita Gore singing Iphigenie en Tauride. Other famous Iphigenie were Régine Crespin, Maria Callas, and Edda Moser. Oh, and of course, Patricia Newway as well. Vocal and dramatic powerhouses, all. Let us listen to the beautiful lament, O Malheureuse Iphigenie. The late Kenneth Montgomery conducts the Paris Opera Orchestra in this recording from 1984.
role of Alceste is a part that has also been assayed by both mezzos and sopranos. Great singers from Janet Baker to Jesse Norman. Oh my god, I almost forgot to mention Eileen Farrell and Kirsten Flagstad, both of whom sang it with enormous success. And Shirley Verrett was also an interpreter in terms of intensity and nobility, worthy of standing alongside any of those great singers in that part. This is a very difficult role to sing. I once heard a very, very famous contemporary singer come to complete grief singing this part. In fact, the aria that we're going to hear, she ended up having to sing down an octave in performance because it just lies so high. And this was a soprano. So when you hear how Shirley Verrett conquers this tessitura with dignity and again with supreme nobility, this is no small feat. This is the aria Je n'ai jamais chéri la vie in which the Paris Opera Orchestra is led by the Danish conductor Michael Schönwand. The recording is from a dress rehearsal in 1985. I'm not spending a lot of time on Shirley Verrett's bel canto roles, 
because, first of all, this is a repertoire in which she is so well-known. And second of all, one of my very early Verrett episodes focused exclusively on her work in Bel Canto. So if you want to hear some examples of that, please go to that episode. I'll provide links in the show notes and in all of my social media posts. But we are going to listen to a variety of performances of the music of Giuseppe Verdi, whom Shirley Verrett went on the record as saying was her favorite composer. The fact that she could excel in Verdi's mezzo roles as well as later on in his soprano parts has been matched by very few singers, Grace Bumpery being one of them. From an operatic concert in Amsterdam, let's listen to Amneris's final outburst after her ex-lover Radames has been condemned to death by the priests. This performance took place in December 1971. Less than 10 years later, Verrett had abandoned the role of Amneris, and instead she assumed the title role of Aida. 
This is the kind of thing that Shirley Verrett was severely criticized for, especially in the United States. The critics just loved to find fault with her singing. And she was an uneven singer. But what people didn't know at that time was that for more than 10 years, she struggled valiantly against serious allergic problems, which more than once nearly derailed her career. It took her a long time to actually get a diagnosis and to figure out what was going on with her voice. And once she did get that diagnosis, she was able to assume key soprano roles with greater authority and assurance. Listen to this portion of the duet between Verrett's Aida and the Radames of James McCracken in this live performance from the Opera Company of Boston from June 1980. The orchestra is led, as it always was, by Sarah Caldwell. The following year, McCracken and Verrett reunited under the baton of Sarah Caldwell to perform Verdi's Otello. By this point, James McCracken was one of the world's great Otellos, but Shirley Verrett had not yet sung the role of Desdemona, and many people were uncertain how she would fare in the role. But let us just say that it was one of her greatest successes. It's not a role she sang often, and yet on those concerts with Grace Bumbry, she always sang the Willow Song and the Ave Maria, and brilliantly. But let's listen to this portion from the third act, an excerpt from the Dio Tijocondi duet, in which Desdemona, stupefied and mystified by Otello's hostility toward her, begs him to look into her heart and see that she is his faithful wife. 
Verdi Requiem was another piece that played a significant part in Shirley Verrett's career. In her autobiography, she tells the unfortunate tale of how she was supposed to sing in that legendary film of the Requiem, which featured Leontine Price, Pavarotti, and Nicola Giaurov under the baton of Herbert von Karajan. But there were machinations going on, and instead of Shirley appearing alongside these greats, her place was taken by the Italian mezzo Fiorenza Cosotto, an estimable artist, but one who was, let's just put it this way, not the world's greatest colleague. Nevertheless, Shirley did sing the mezzo part many times, and in the year 1981, she sang both the mezzo and the soprano parts within a month of each other. Let's first listen to her recording of a portion of the Liber Scriptus under the baton of Seiji Ozawa at Tanglewood in July 1981.
Less than a month before this, Shirley Verrett jumped in for her ailing colleague Mirella Freni in the soprano part in the Verdi Requiem on a tour of the La Scala Orchestra and Chorus under the baton of Claudio Abbado. This is the precarious and very exposed portion of the final movement, the Libera Me, when the soprano sings a cappella, the Requiem Eternam text, accompanied only by the chorus. This performance took place on the 16th of June, 1981, in Budapest, from whence it was filmed and telecast.
Machado led Shirley Verrett numerous times at La Scala, including when she first sang the role of Lady Macbeth in Verdi's Macbeth. This was one of her greatest triumphs, and it was a role that she sang for a good number of years, up until some of her final performances on the operatic stage. Performing this role is like walking a tightrope. And there were times in which Shirley Verrett performed it less brilliantly than other times. But nevertheless, this cemented her position at La Scala as La Nera Calas. The following year, she sang the role of Amelia in Verdi's Ballo in Maschera. She writes in her autobiography that she was A, not physically well during these performances, and B, that she found the role uncongenial. But then she also writes that she had had opportunity to listen to the live radio broadcast that took place on the 30th of December 1977, and she realized that it's not really that bad. Excuse me, not that bad. First of all, she's singing opposite her friend and colleague Luciano Pavarotti, for whom Riccardo was one of his greatest roles. And I'm going to play just a little bit of the duet in the second act. You hear the wonderful collegiality that these two shared, how they were really, in some ways, on the exact same artistic wavelength. And Abado is fabulous, and so are both of them. And that high C that crowns the duet, these are two singers in their absolute primes.
introduction to that previous number, I mentioned Shirley Verrett as Lady Macbeth. And I'd like to play you a brief excerpt of the duet between the two Macbeths. It's from a source that you might not expect. There was a live concert, I believe this was the Richard Tucker Foundation, which in those years always produced amazing concerts. I think they're still doing them. I mean, maybe with less distinguished singers, but nevertheless. Here's a portion of the first act duet, with Shirley Verrett partnered by the great American Verdi baritone Cheryl Milnes. You hear at this late date, as she is approaching the age of 60, that her voice is a little rough here and there. But nevertheless, the way she handles the gruppetti, the very specific and challenging coratura, with such ease and aplomb and dramatic intensity, I don't know, I rest my case that even when she was not in perfect voice, she always gave a complete performance. Anton Guadagno is the conductor here, and the performance is from the year 1989. Yeah. 
Ten years earlier, Shirley Verrett first took on the role of Tosca, for which she was roundly criticized when she sang it at the Met opposite Luciano Pavarotti, and it was telecast on the Life from the Met series. I think it's a brilliant performance, but if anything, it's surpassed by the performance that she gave at Tanglewood in the summer of 1980. This is just a year before she intoned the mezzo part from the Verdi Requiem, also from the stage of Tanglewood. Here she's joined by Cheryl Milnes, once again, and Seiji Ozawa, once again, and we hear offstage the screams and imprecations of the Italian tenor Veriano Lucchetti, who was one of the supreme Italian tenors of that era. No, we're not hearing Visidarte, although... Every time she sang it, she managed with enormous skill that diminuendo that most singers can't even manage these days. But here we listen to a little bit of the duet between Scarpia and Tosca, as eventually the sound of her lover Cavaradossi being tortured in the adjoining room leads her to reveal the secret that Scarpia has been trying to extract from her. The high seas are brilliant. Her cry of assassino is one of the most intense that I've ever heard from anyone. This was another of the great nights in Shirley Verrett's career. Roberto, 
Another of Verrett's greatest roles that we will not hear today is the role of Eboli in Don Carlo, which lies in such a range that suited her to a T. Later in her career, she was invited to sing the soprano role of Elisabetta in Don Carlo. I'm not sure she ever sang it on stage, but I found recently a live recording from Paris in February 1987, in which she sings Tuque le Vanita, Elisabetta's Shena from the final act. Rarely have I heard her sound more magisterial, more souveraine. Honestly, it is frickin' brilliant, in my opinion. I wish I could play the whole thing for you, but let's just listen to an excerpt from the point at which Elisabetta remembers first meeting her stepson at Fontainebleau. Thank you. 
I hope you've enjoyed this exploration of the incredible voice and career of Shirley Verrett. Now to close, I have two longer excerpts of Shirley Verrett in an unexpected and unusual repertoire, German opera. In 1982, she sang at the Met the role of Leonore in Beethoven's Fidelio. She was roundly drubbed critically, but I found a recording of her singing this on YouTube in relatively good sound, and I just had to share it with you because she is the absolute technical master of every aspect of this enormously challenging role. I'm going to play just a portion of the big Abscheulicher scene. Bernard Heitink is the conductor, and Shirley Verrett is a blazing Leonore.
that Shirley Verrett could and did sing almost everything. And one of the most profoundly moving examples of this was at the opening of the 1977 concert season of the New York Philharmonic, when, under the baton of Zubin Mehta, she sang Mozart's Exultate Jubilate, followed by Isolde's Liebestod from Wagner's Tristan und Isolde. Again, this was not something that people expected from her, but the performance has become legendary. The live telecast has been reproduced so many different times on YouTube and seen by so many people. I found the one that I thought had the cleanest sound, but again, it's challenging from an acoustical standpoint. But in terms of a performance, it is radiant. It's transcendent. This is one of the finest performances of this piece that I have ever heard.
my dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel Gundlach.